Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Uh, as always, want to thank our partners, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Tonight may at times have uh, elements of spice sprinkled throughout our uh, commentary or our general uh, perception as to uh, the signing day class. But as always, want to uh, thank our friends from New Iberia and the support that they have given us over the uh, course of this podcast. It's a five-star hot sauce. Three ingredients, but not three-star ingredients. Five-star ingredients, just that they, they keep it simple. It's awesome. Uh, got an action-packed show tonight. We're going to try to try to keep this thing under 75 minutes, but who knows? You know, we go long sometimes. Uh, Edgar, where is Florida State's class right now as, as we record this on a Thursday evening? It is, I should probably pull this up already, 14th on the 247 Sports Composite. Ten, four and five stars, nine, three stars, 14 of those guys have signed early as the early signing period winds down here. Now, there's still one more day of this. We are recording this uh, on Thursday night. There's a possibility somebody gets added to the class tomorrow. And if so, we will do an emergency. No, we will not do an emergency podcast. If just one kid signs, we will just mention that kid in the next podcast, which will probably be after uh, Houston's bowl game to discuss the offensive coordinator hire and an offensive line coach hire. So 14 guys signed and... Uh, I don't know, man. How do you look at this? Because I, I think there's a number of different ways. Are, are you in the camp of, and it was a really disappointing finish, and you know, compared to the expectations that that we had for the, this program and his team entering the year, you know, 14th is is not not good enough. Or are you sort of in like, wow, they went five and seven, and they still finished with a top 15 class with with, with some room to spare. And are you solidly on one side of that? Or where are you? If um, if all of the kids that that were currently committed to Florida State were signed with Florida State, I would be much more closer to the second uh, batch of people. Uh, with concerns as to if Florida State ultimately uh, retains all of the kids that they are committed, and also uh, with how they finished and some frustrations that I have throughout the process, uh, this kind of first real class, uh, ultimately, at least for now, I am uh, more in the first group that you described and and think there's uh, just some concerns right now with maybe how the class could finish. Uh, If you could guarantee me that everybody was committed, uh, ended up in the class, I'd be, I'd probably uh, have a little bit of a different disposition right now. I think so too. Now, look, we are going to discuss sort of more overall feelings about what the class means going forward towards the end of the show. We wanted to we wanted to kind of do a little little rundown on each kid who signed and each position. We're just going to go position by position here. We're going to take a couple minutes per position like we've done in previous signing days. We do want to go macro and micro, and we're going to start uh, with with a rundown of the kids who signed, and then we're going to discuss sort of you know overall grade on the class, what this class means going forward for future years, and then also some some strategy insights and some criticisms certainly to come of some of the approach that, that the staff took. And I think we're going to try to divide up some things. Uh, is this something you should blame somebody for, or is this something that was out of your control? And there, there's a couple things that I, I believe belong in the different buckets. So that'll be sort of the second half of the show. But uh, let's kick it off here, uh, I guess, with the uh, with the quarterback position. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Sam Howe uh, did not end up signing with uh, Florida State. It's a situation that 
It's kind of uh, been something that everybody's followed the past month or so, and we're not going to use this podcast as an attempt to provide every piece of information throughout every kid's recruitment. Uh, if you're somebody that's going to listen to a 80-minute podcast like this, you're probably going to have at least somewhat of a base level of knowledge. And so our, our goal tonight is not to uh, provide kind of like a message board thread of everything that happened uh, throughout individuals' commitment or recruitment. Uh, but ultimately, uh, the the Sam Howell story is is interwoven with the departure of Walt Bell. From that moment on, there was significant doubt as to whether or not he was going to be in the class. But also, and somewhat, in my opinion, uh, troubling, uh, is that there was also a very real period after that where Florida State thought they were going to retain uh, the potential services for Howell and ultimately ended up uh, not getting a kid that they had uh, – identified and had committed for a massive swath of the uh, 2018 process. Yeah. So when, when, when Walt Bell first left to take the UMass job, um, I was like, oh, well, they're, they're in trouble here. Uh, and then they went and they thought they had a really good in-home uh, with, with Hal. We've previously discussed on this show how other members of the staff weren't real comfortable with, with how, how Bell handled that recruitment, mainly that he was just kind of the one and only guy who, Monopolized it. Yeah, exactly. And that was, I think, twofold. Number one, I think that's how the Howells liked it because they knew Bell going back a long way. I also think that Bell really wanted it that way, from what I understand. And, and you know, other coaches tried to get in there and, you know, get a relationship uh, with him more, including Taggart, who did a better job of building it down the stretch. Ultimately, uh, I, I don't think that the Howells wanted to be at Florida State. I think they were more committed to Walt Bell than they were uh, to the program. You know, we, we've discussed this before. I'm not going to disparage Sam. I, I think he had to do what he thought was best for him. He was never a real raw, raw guy. You know, we, we tried to avoid calling him the the leader of the class. You know, we, we laughed when other outlets suggested that he was best friends with uh, the, the five stars probably going to go to Tennessee now, that Kavaris uh, Crouch. And he is who he is. He's not a super, like, raw, raw recruiting for his school type dude. And uh, I think that was very much reflected in that maybe he didn't have the greatest connection with the FSU program. Um, So we'll see how he does at North Carolina. But uh, he was one of the better options at quarterback this year in a bad quarterback year, in my opinion. So Florida State does need to take a quarterback. I do not expect DeAndre Francois to be with FSU's program in the fall. Uh, Yesterday, I guess he denied an Orlando Sentinel report that said he was – transferring going to the NFL. Still, I'm going to stick with my belief here that he's not back next year. I have very strong reasons to believe that. Uh, so they do need to pick a, a high school kid. And I think that they should also go after a transfer. And I believe they'll be able to do both. Will the high school kid be a step down from Hal? It's certainly possible. I think that the most likely result here will be that whoever you take will be uh, less polished than Hal. There's a possibility that at the, the upside is maybe higher, but that's more of a down-the-line type element with the new kid that you take. So losing Hal, I think, is a blow because of, of his college readiness. Now, I think his upside was somewhat limited, and he's maxed out physically, no doubt. His arm is good. It's not like the, the most insane arm in the world type thing. That That is a loss. There's no doubt. I'm not going to try and sugarcoat that for the listeners. There's also you know four very distinct transfer possibilities out there right now you can go after in Justin Fields. Jalen Hurts, Jordan Travis, who I'm very high on, by the way, 
And I, I'm very interested. Is Derek King going to be a, a spring or summer graduate from Houston? A lot of times these guys, they, they, they take all these summer classes and they end up graduating in three years. Uh, that, that currently is the Houston quarterback who, you know, quarterback for Bryles this year. And as you know, we expect Bryles to be announced as the offense coordinator following uh, Houston's early signing period in the bowl game. If he graduates, some of these guys do graduate in three years. If he graduates in three years because uh, he just played his junior season, he'd be a possibility as well. So I think Florida State's going to be fine at quarterback. I'm not worried about that. Uh, I was also told the staff still likes James Blackman, actually. This is not a, a case of where they think he can't play. So I'm just not that worried about quarterback here. And you know, I don't think I'm very, you know scared to voice my fears or worries about, about a, a player or a program or whatever. But maybe that's just I was just never – in love with Hal. Like I acknowledge he's a pretty good, pretty good prospect and he's one of the better ones this year, but it's also kind of a down year, you know, but the missing fields last year hurt you a ton more than losing Hal does. Certainly. So my frustrations with, with that would be that you had a QB need. The idea that DeAndre Francois not returning next year is uh, not a, a new one. It's been something that's been talked about on this podcast for a long time. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe Florida State has positioned themselves much better uh, than than some people realize with, with other prospects out there. But at the time, they have missed with the the guy that they identified as their number one target at perhaps their, their number one uh, area of need, uh, if not that offensive tackle, another subject that we'll certainly talk about. I don't want to get bogged down too much in the quarterbacks, bud, but you mentioned, you know, Fields and Hurts, everybody in the world's aware of. Uh, the Houston quarterback is an interesting name for people to keep track of, but the kid out of, uh, out of Palm Beach County is maybe not quite as known by the fan base as, as the other three that you listed there. Sure. So Jordan Travis is actually the little brother of Devin Travis, who was Florida State shortstop and is now the second baseman for the Toronto Blue Jays. Very athletic kid. Big arm. Uh, Petrino liked him a lot at Louisville. He got him to commit last summer. Jimbo was actually on this guy for a little while. And as you know, uh, there was some recruiting that kind of stopped uh, last year a little bit. And Florida State just really couldn't get on him quick enough with, with the short signing period hurting. Now, he elected to transfer out of Louisville very uh, like midway through the season. I'm not really sure what I can say because I don't know where he's going necessarily. I, I think Florida State's going to have a pretty good shot. To get him, I wouldn't be totally shocked if he could get a waiver to to to, to be immediately eligible here. Remember how there were some stories about like coaches and players getting in arguments at practice last year when it was pretty obvious that staff was checking out. Um, right. I, I right. think there was definitely some. You're telling me there was dysfunction under a, a Bobby Petrino exiting staff, and particularly some mistreatment and things said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, would, would sort of be a. Like if I was filing a waiver claim, I might be like, uh, you know, hostile environment here right. at Louisville, and that's the reason why I had to transfer and why I should be immediately eligible. Something to uh, a name to file away. Like I said, uh, maybe not quite as familiar with uh, as as Hertz and, and Fields in general, but somebody for the fan base to uh, to kind of keep track of and see whether or not that's a legitimate possibility. Uh, we'll move to to running back and don't have uh, don't have too much information to uh, share or speak of when it comes to this position. So, uh, yeah, it looks like they're not going to take a running back. I, I wondered if they should get in on DJ Williams, the kid who Auburn took. I know that there were some very uh, kind of mixed opinions on him from, from people I respect. It was weird. I, I, I talked to one guy, and he'd say, I love him. And I talked to another guy, he'd say, I, 
I think he's a bad body kid, man, and I'm not really impressed with the competition that he runs against. So I think his film's overrated, and I, I never saw the kid in person, and so I didn't really have a great opinion on, on how to split those two opinions. So they ended up not going on him. We'll see if that's a mistake later on. I definitely had some coaches at other schools ask me, "Hey, do you think Florida State's going to go on a kid?" And I was like, "I, I really haven't heard that they are." So they may be totally cool with not taking a running back. They could also take a transfer running back. You know, um, mm-hmm. there's all kinds of rumors swirling about uh, about Dalvin Cook's little brother at Georgia right now, and he wasn't at practice on Thursday for their bowl game. So, who knows? And you know what what high school Telly Lockett was at, Miami Central, yeah. which is yes. you know, which is little Cook's high school. So anyway, that's uh, that's running back uh, for sure. Receiver, they ended up sticking with with Marie Schoolsby uh, throughout the process. Number one, total lack of social media awareness by Florida State. To tweet out, catch him if you can. Yeah, I, was, right? <laughs> I got like, shook a lot of that. On. The only <laughs> knock on this kid is his top line speed, right? He's he's a fairly fairly big dude, decent baseball player, has pretty good ball skills. Will go up and get the ball. The question is his ability to separate with his speed. And they tweet like catch catch him if you can. I'm like and, and like of course all these Ford Gator fans online are like, won't be a problem, you know. <laughs> Like I'm like oh god you're setting the kid up for ridicule, you know like 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 why not like like a tweet like throw it up to the big man or something like that 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 to me was was poor coordination there, and uh, by the way Florida State's graphics for signing day I I thought were did not measure up to some other schools particularly Ohio State and, and Oklahoma I really like theirs Oklahoma did some cool stuff uh, it hates me to say anything positive about the. Institution, but I thought Baylor actually had some some good stuff, or at least a couple of the kids that I saw. I didn't see uh, go to Baylor. Was just sharper, or do they have a theme? Or I'll send you uh, one of their kids. They actually signed the quarterback of the uh, Odessa Permian, uh, the the school that Friday Night Lights is based out of. Oh, very uh, cool. They they flipped that kid from Texas at the end, and I'll send you what they did for his uh, commitment. It was uh, we'll put it on the the Nullcast account, so that this is not just Bud and I texting each other. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of cool things. <clears throat> Sorry, folks, my voice is uh, – I've been feeling a little under the weather. Uh, I'll be fine, but uh, if my voice fails me at times tonight, I apologize. But, look, you know, I think Florida State in general could could do social a little bit better, and that was uh, that was only, only driven or, or reinforced a little bit more by what I saw out there on signing day. So, I do think that they are still in the market for one receiver. Do I like the Goolsby take? Uh, not particularly. Um, I'm not saying he's a bad player, but they they like him more than I do, I'll say. And I'm not going to agree with the staff on every every take. I didn't agree with the last staff on every take. Sometimes I'm totally right about that. Like Torres, you know, who didn't do a thing really on the field in his, in his time here. Sometimes, sometimes I'm wrong about that, right? I didn't really think Fred Jones was very, was, was very good. I think I've shared that story. Um, just you know, examples from from the past uh, the past staff. Now, in a very small sample set, it does appear like this staff hit some hit some like solid doubles on, on their their sleeper recruits from the first class. So so far, their track record on it is good. Granted, really small sample set, so not passing judgment on their ability or inability to evaluate uh, overall. But uh, there's a kid named R.J. Henderson out of Texas who I know that, that Willie Taggart and his, his Oregon staff were very tight with. Um, he's decommitted from Oklahoma and will be playing in the Under Armour All-American game. Uh, I think there's a chance that they, they snag him. Now, I don't know why he's all of a sudden available. I'm going to do some digging on that next week when I get up to Orlando for the Under Armour All-American game. But uh, 
anyway, I, I think there's a chance they could end up with with two receiver commitments in this class, not not just Goolsby. Yeah, very interesting prospect uh, for those that aren't total recruitniks and are looking for this kid. First name spelled A R J E I, not necessarily uh, you know R J. Uh, oh, as, sorry. You, yes. as you may yeah. try to find I, him. <laughs> man, I'm just immune to this stuff, right? Like, there's a stud prospect out there named Day Nylon. <laughs> and I was like, I just, you know, I, I just, some of these kids have really unique, interesting names. And I just, I just say them like they're just, okay, just, you know, like, like it's an everyday occurrence. And then I was, I was riding back last night from the, the, the 2020 class of 2022 freshman All American game. I was like, wait, that kid's name is Day Nylon? Wow. You know, so yeah, RJ, it's A R J E I. Like you said, he's the number 126 prospect in the nation. His ranking's been falling a little bit, but I've seen him in person. He's very productive. Plays in a a, a good uh, good classification of ball in Texas and uh, in in Houston actually. And I I like the kid. I, I think he's a pretty good player. So we'll, we'll see what's up. I don't know if that's a qualifying issue or or, or why he decommitted from Houston or from uh, from Oklahoma. So. Tight end, I was told that they still want one if they find the right one, but they don't necessarily feel like they have to take one just to take. So I think that's kind of all I have to say on that right now. I wasn't given any names as far as like, hey, this guy's definitely going to be the next offer and we might take him. Fair enough. Uh, we'll move to the offensive line, but So good discussion here to be had. Certainly uh, this part of the recruitment cycle ended on a – a very sour note uh, for Florida State fans as they watched uh, Will Putnam ultimately decide to go to Clemson, and uh, we'll we'll talk about that certainly. But don't want to uh, let today's frustration, you know, uh, block out the kids that they did bring in. Obviously, the the headliner at this point for the offensive line class uh, will be Dante Lucas. Look, Dante Lucas is a dude who came from Miami High. He went to. IMG Academy. He came in. He was probably close to 370 pounds. Florida State gave him a list of weights of guys at the combine. And they said, hey, here's where you want to go. The combine, the NFL draft. Here is a list of heights and weights for guys at the guard position who got drafted in the first round. Year 370, these guys are all like 315, 320. Well, Dante has worked to get down. I think he's kind of in that 330 range. Uh, worked hard at IMG. He's a good player. Enrolling early, I think, is going to be really key there. And there's a chance that he's a day one contributor for you. I'm not saying he's like a guaranteed starter, but the number one key for him in order to play early was was going to to be to to come in in shape. And he's made big time strides towards that. Now Florida State will probably try to get 15 more pounds off him, but they don't have to get 50 off him, and that's a really big deal. So I like the maturity. That Dante showed, uh, you know, he, he told me that he had had that that sheet of paper actually taped up in his bedroom so he could look at it uh, every day when he when he was making his food choices. So, the top rated kid in their class who actually signed, I believe, right? I, I mean, I'm trying to think about the ratings of the guys who have not signed yet. Yeah, yeah, he, he's their best player who actually signed. Uh, the number six rated guard in the nation, Dante. He's he's got like like skinny ankles and. That might sound weird talking about another dude's ankles, but uh, typically you want those guys to have like athletic looking ankles um, as opposed to like big time cankles. Because the dudes who have like the skinny looking ankles at, at 320, they typically have pretty quick feet. And when you have a guy who's 320, 330 with quick feet, that's a big deal. 
Good deal. If nothing else, uh, Dante and his mother teamed up to provide a, uh, a nice, nice little recruiting picture. It seems to be in vogue now to uh, get parents into the jerseys. But uh, I thought uh, one of the better ones that I've seen was uh, was Lucas and his mom uh, up to their recent trip at Tallahassee. That was cool. Yeah, I, I I actually don't have any problem with recruits taking taking the photos in, in the uh, in the FSU gear in the actual gear and the parents if they want to throw on the gear too. Awesome. That's that's all good with me. So very cool there. I think folks are going to like Dante. Um, he's he's a good player. Seems to have a, a pretty decent sense of humor on him as well. Just from uh, a brief social media exposure that I've uh, that I've seen from him. Jay Williams is a, a pretty interesting prospect. Uh, enjoyed your podcast uh, that you did solo previous this, this week and kind of the description of Williams of his body transformation and kind of where this guy's gone over the past couple of years. So uh, disappointing that this is a prospect that you'd only get two years to work with. Sounds like there's a, a some, you know, some edges to be polished, but ultimately uh, kind of an intriguing prospect uh, to, to look at out of the JUCO ranks. No doubt. They, they, they're lucky he's coming in early because they've got to be able to teach teach this kid how to pass set and some more technique. He's not played offensive line for that long, but he is legitimately a tackle. He has length and he has athleticism, and uh, that's what you get paid to do, coaching, right? And hopefully he doesn't have like mental breakdowns on the field and thus can take some of the coaching that you've given him and translate that to the field on game day because I think that they're counting on him to come in and be a starter from day one, which it would be hard to not upgrade on the tackle position <laughs> with most JUCOs that you could take, I, I would say. So definitely a good get for them. People have asked, you know, why didn't Texas offer? Why, why did this happen or that happen? And uh, and I would say Texas has a lot better offensive line than Florida State does. Jay Williams may not be an upgrade for Texas. Florida State, and I'm serious about this, if they can just get to below average – overall on the offensive line as opposed to like downright dreadful that's a major upgrade so jay williams makes sense for florida state to take i don't really care about texas recruiting because florida state is not trying to be texas next year they're just trying to like safely get back to a bowl and and hopefully do a little better than that texas is is probably a national title contender so there's a big time difference there i don't really care about that fair enough anything else you want to talk about williams before we move to uh the recent edition out of miami no, I mean we covered him so much in the previous show. If you guys, if you guys are really itching for more Jay Williams content, just go pull up the previous show, and I think I'll give you probably ten additional minutes on on the JUCO tackle. So Maury Smith is a kid that was previously committed to Boston College, a little bit of an undersized prospect, but a guy that you'd have playing uh, on the interior, certainly uh, rather guard or center. Look, you know, an interesting prospect who seems to have a pretty good reputation for being a good locker room kid, kid that works hard. If if you're going to make some of these last minute additions, one I like that somebody like Steve Adazio uh, had uh, done breakdown and was enthused about the kid, and I also love uh, some of the high schools that Florida State added uh, from the from the rosters uh, today, and uh, certainly Maury Smith is is from uh, one of those that I'm referencing. Look, I like Maury Smith as a prospect. Um, I think he raises the floor. He's a guy that's going to compete. He's not going to. Be- I feel like, you know, once he's ready age-wise uh, and, and experience-wise, he's I don't think he's ever going to embarrass you, right? I don't know what his ceiling is. We'll have to determine that. It, to me, it's not clear that the ceiling is real high on him. But I'll tell you what. I've seen Maurice Smith now at events for, I think, two years. I don't really remember. He was a sophomore. 
But I've seen him for the last two years, and he's always been one of the best offensive linemen really at any camp I've gone to. You know, plays for a powerhouse program in Central, like you mentioned. You know, what is the upside? I, I, I guess we'll see. But I do think that the floor, uh, I'd be very surprised if, if he busts, what I'm saying. He, he has a high floor of me. Uh, we've referenced it earlier. Maybe we'll save it for the, the back part, the more kind of critical half of the podcast for now. No reason to really relive the uh, the Putnam episode. But if we're going to break down the offensive line prospects uh, of this class, uh, certainly a conversation that we should have. With that, uh, Bud, before we move over to uh, defensive line, we'll take this time to uh, thank our partners at Madison Social for the Table Restaurant Group township been uh, great for us uh, a place that i know they're having all kinds of specials throughout the holidays particularly for locals i think 20 percent off uh, if you go in there and you're from kind of tallahassee or the broader area so please do keep our friends uh at for the table restaurant group in mind if you're planning a uh, any kind of event that require catering uh keep the uh, social catering company in mind as uh, they're far and away your best option and uh, would be the same high-quality partners for you as they have been for us uh, since day one of this podcast. Absolutely. A, a great partner for us, there's no doubt, and uh, very excited to partner with them for another year here. And also, if you're in town, just hit, you know, hit up Madison Social. Hit up hit up Township. A great time to visit those guys. The weather in Tallahassee right now is absolutely beautiful. And, and get out there on the porch and enjoy a beverage and, and a burger. And uh, By the way, I think we need to award – a uh, a special award here, and we will be giving it to Dante Lucas. It is the Mad So Burger Masher Award. Dante Lucas is a masher of men. He is huge, and he likes to maul people. And so we're going to give him the Mad So Burger Award, given yearly now. This is the first annual to the uh, the best offensive lineman in the class. So Dante Lucas, congratulations uh, due to the fact that you're an athlete and the NCAA is stupid. We cannot actually give you anything for this award, but uh, who knows? Maybe if you go on to be an All-American, maybe, maybe Madso will name the burger after you for, for being one of the linemen that turned around this uh, this, this cursed position in Tallahassee. Uh, yes. Not talk to Matt about naming the burger after you, by the way. So, no. Well, uh, you know, we're just renaming his, his menu. We don't need to talk to Matt about that. Making some executive decisions tonight. Hey, if Dante Lucas turns out to be a stud, I was gonna say, if we I get some all Americans, I think Matt's willing to. Yeah, I think Matt's willing to. He's uh he's willing to play games with a menu if we get a couple all Americans in here along the offensive line. So uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll make decisions up until that point. Uh, so, Bud, let's talk about the first uh, prospect, Georgia prospect. A lot of a lot of Georgia prospects in this class overall, but. Uh, Curtis Fan, interesting prospect, kid that can play the run in the past pretty well, edge defender. You know, he's not, it certainly has aspects to work on, but a, a nice little piece to build around when you look at the defensive line class. He is. Uh, I, I, I like Curtis Fan. Uh, he's a guy that South Carolina wanted, NC State wanted, a couple of other places wanted. Heavy hands, right? The, the ability to, to really stun a blocker. He can play the run and the pass. He has, you know, he has some pass rush ability. He's kind of squatty. I guess is out, uh, like he's not like 6'4". He's more like 6'2". There's a guy who played for South Carolina some years ago now, and he, he ended up on the Chargers. Does Melvin Ingram sound right? I've been thinking about this. Yeah. Okay, I was right about that. Damn. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Melvin Ingram. Now, I don't think he's as talented as Mel- Melvin Ingram was. So don't go saying, oh, Bud says this guy's as talented as Mel- Melvin Ingram. Melvin Ingram went number 18 overall in the NFL draft in, in, in 2012. He was a sophomore 
on that South Carolina team that Florida State played in the Peach Bowl uh, in in 2010. But you know Ingram was six two. He was 264 pounds. He ended up running four eight. Heavy handed dude played low with leverage. I I like Curtis Fan. I think his four star rating is justified. I think he's a good player, uh, a versatile guy. I, I do wonder what his ultimate pass rush upside is. You know, and, and I want to see. I mean, to me, he's an end. I don't think he's a guy you have to kick inside. There are definitely some guys in his class that I'm not sure where you're going to play them at. But I I like the signing there. He's also been uh, a, a major recruiter for you. Yeah, he's been uh, been a major recruiter. Been uh, been active on the social and uh, interesting prospect. Derek McClendon is a uh, another Georgia prospect, defensive line prospect, kid out of Tucker, Georgia, one of the uh, premier high school programs in the state ton of uh, talent comes out of tucker uh, more times than than not it makes its way either to auburn or georgia but uh good to see florida state go up there and, and get a prospect a four-star kid maybe a little bit of uh one of these kids that we'd have a hard time projecting exactly uh where he lands or how they use him but a, a nice little piece to work with yeah do they have him as a four-star uh, i'm sorry three-star defensive end Gotcha. Yeah, I, I I think that's probably uh, more accurate. He has some pass rush ability off the edge. Um, you know, has has some length. Definitely more of a, a developmental guy. Um, but I, I think there's some some things to like with McClendon. We'll see how Florida State uses him. Uh, another Georgia kid along the line of scrimmage, True Thompson, kid that's uh, seemingly been committed to Florida State since I think I was about 13 years old. Uh, so somebody a little undersized. Uh, a guy that uh, Odell, yeah, yeah, yes, height wise, he's a uh, he's a uh, he's a wide individual, but he's uh, built look, like a fire hydrant. He is basically. definitely a fire hydrant. Description um, is apt. Uh, good little player, plays within himself, uh, kind of knows his game, and a, a guy that will, uh, you know, one of those guys that will uh, will add to the locker room from day one. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You know, come, comes from a powerhouse program there in Georgia. Uh, he, he stuck with Florida State throughout. It's been, been a been a leader for the class, um, you know, a, a guy who really believes in what Willie Taggart and those dudes are doing. It's it's tough to block Drew at times because he, he gets real low. Uh, he's he's definitely worked on on becoming a, a, a quicker player. Um, I've, it's been an interesting following Drew because I've seen him since his freshman year. I mean, he was at Florida State's camp, I think, in, in July of, of 2015, and he was already squatting like a million pounds. I think sometimes kids kind of fall – victim in the rating evaluation things like if, if we've known about you forever right unless you're the freak of freaks mm-hmm. we, we we see kind of the the new flavor of the month and and i think sometimes these rating services elevate somebody you know may, maybe above where, where they should be or excuse me like, like elevate other players above above where they should be you know i i think that now there's a there's a shininess to a new yeah. prospect certainly like yeah. i think there was a time like i'll just be honest here there was a time where I thought True was probably overrated, right? But now I think you can maybe make the case on some of these websites that, that he might actually be a little bit underrated um, just because I, I think some people kind of wrote him off. I think he can give you uh, some some quality snaps. We'll see. I'm not going to you know be out here and be like, oh, he's going to be a starter for sure and you know surefire NFL guy, but I, I think he's got a chance. So, um Definitely something to uh, to monitor there. All right, bud. Move on to uh, one Malcolm Ray. Uh, like I said, this will be a a theme that is kind of interwoven throughout the class. 
if you're grabbing defensive linemen out of South Florida and they happen to go to Carroll City High School or a defensive back that we'll talk about, I'm uh, I'm fully on board. So some some really good programs that uh, that make up the prospects of this class. And uh, I know Ray was a kid that was committed to South Florida. Um, I know you mentioned uh, Bluestein is who's kind of like the godfather of South Florida recruiting. Uh, thought that he was one of the better defensive players in all of South Florida. It doesn't necessarily mean he projects uh, to college, but uh, as far as just a an absolute football player, a nice little ad, and a guy that's got a little bit of flexibility as far as where you line him up. There's no doubt. I, look, man, he he is quick, and and like I I don't know what he's going to play. Like, is he an end? Is he a three tech? I'm I'm guessing they'll play him more on the interior. But as an interior pass rusher. He's a guy I think actually going to play, not day one, but at least at least year one in in, in some ways, because uh, he he just has a natural ability to cause some havoc on the inside. He, he's not super big, but he he can be a good player for you. He's definitely also going to be a guy that I think is going to be a valuable practice player for you. Man, you got to be on your game if you're a starter and you're going against Malcolm Ray in practice because he's he's just tough to block. Man, he's probably two fifty five. I would say maybe, maybe you know kind of around there. He looks more more like a defensive tackle than, than he does an end. Florida State's taken a lot of these tweener bodies in the last two years, and it, it's interesting because I don't really think of their defense as as a defense that that utilizes a lot of these tweener types. I Man, I, I kind of think they have more defined roles, like, like more of a you know more D tackles and and D ends, uh, and they've taken a, a number of, of tweener types. So I'm I'm interested. You know, to see how this defense evolves over the next year or two because of the personnel that they're signing. Uh, and it seems to be by design. I don't think they're just out there randomly taking dudes. Uh, so that, that's something I, I'd be interested in, in discussing further, uh, maybe in a future episode. But Malcolm Ray uh, is, is going to cause some havoc. If you want to watch a fun tape, watch that. Quayshawn Fuller is a kid that, that uh, did not sign in the past two days, but is a guy that's uh, currently committed to Florida State. Certainly had some some interesting quotes throughout the process. Might give you some concern as to where he ultimately would sign. But uh, as of late, uh, Florida State seems to feel a little bit more confident about him. They've had some nice things as far as visits, and they seem to uh, have positioned themselves well in the final, uh, what, six weeks or so here to ultimately end up with a signature. Yeah, I, I do like that that he came up to the unofficial visit uh, last week with his mom when all the kids were in town who actually didn't end up committing and signing. He's going to take his official visit in January. I'm not saying he won't take an official to anywhere else. We'll see. But uh, right now, I think Florida State feels uh, feels pretty good about getting Quayshawn in the fold. And, and Quayshawn uh, will be your your highest, uh, highest rated defensive line signee, uh, assuming he does end up signing, I believe. Yeah, yeah, he's rated to... Uh, 203, kind of solidly in that four-star range. Question also, to me, has the highest ceiling of any of these defensive linemen that Florida State's signing. Uh, he, he's a, he's probably the one dude who I think could really, really blow up if, if he's dedicated, stays healthy, and, uh, and, and and does a great job on and off the field. Anybody else, the, the Hunter kid ended up uh, signing with A&M today, uh, which was not totally unexpected. But uh, anybody else that you think Florida State might add come the first Wednesday in February or at least has the potential to get involved with? Yeah, I, I'm not seeing anybody else at this point, but I, I won't rule it out. Certainly, they, they could take six, but I I don't know, man. I, if I'm them, I think I want to take five. Unless there's a real nice, like, pure pass rusher type who stands out to you that, that you like. I think I would I would stand pat at five. 
Moving on uh, to the linebackers, again, a little bit of a Georgia flavor here. Kalen Deloach, a guy that uh, Florida State's been involved with, longtime Southeast Georgia prospect. Uh, a lot of rumors with uh, Michigan, obviously. You know, Michigan's a, a big-time program and historically has had some success uh, recruiting the state of Georgia. And uh, anytime Harbaugh gets fully kind of invested in a kid, it seems to either go one way or another. But uh, fortunately, Florida State was be able to uh, hang on to Deloach and a, a guy that, you know, maybe my only concern for him is that there's there's such a need for playing time that – then maybe he sees the field a little bit earlier than than he would otherwise or, or in the best of situations. Kalen is a kid that needs to fill out, but he's a true sideline-to-sideline guy, real rangy. I think he can play all three downs. Uh, definitely going to be an asset in pass coverage. He's also a really good blitzer if you watch his film. He seems to have a knack for that. I think that's a separate skill that, than just being fast and aggressive is, is understanding how to time up blitzes. And, and, and there's just some – some sixth sense to that, right? It's like understanding kind of the, the spatial cues going on around you. I like Kalen a lot. I know the staff's real high on Kalen. That's a guy that identified early, got him on him early, and, and stuck with him throughout the process. You know, Harbaugh was trying to come down like King Triton and, and grab him with his trident and take him back to, to Michigan, and, and yet it didn't end up happening. It was weird. It was like, man, all these Michigan writers are writing about how Michigan's got this great shot to flip him. And the kid rolls up in FSU pants to, to like, like nice, you know, like I'd, I'd wear those to game day if I didn't have to go into the press box. They're pretty cool, by the way. Like I've definitely seen some dudes with those pants on, uh, and they're four state pants with the old logo all 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 over them. So kind of low drama on uh, on, on that one. He's a smart kid too, a, a smart player. Really makes a lot of instinctive plays. And I got to tell you, man, that is a that is something that I am noticing so far with all three of these linebackers. They all make a lot of smart plays. So we'll uh, transition from Deloach to a uh, another Georgia prospect, kind of the the southernmost edge of the metro Atlanta area here. Uh, Kevon Glenn is a, a hitter, really a traditional inside Mike, smart player, uh, plays for a high school about 30 miles south of Atlanta, but uh, a guy that you think, uh, you know, maybe – Maybe a little bit of a plan B option, but a really good uh, player who who will raise the floor. And uh, none of these linebackers are necessarily guys that uh, you're, you're going to plan on retiring their number when they leave. But I think all three are, have the ability to, to be a significant addition to a unit that is in desperate, desperate need of uh, de- dependable, heady players. No doubt. Like guys who are in the right spots, who <laughs> understand what's going on with the defense. Like these... These seem like real easy things, like things that like, oh, oh, in the right spot. Huh, like understanding what's going on with the defense. Like that would seem to be like a, a thing that would just be obvious, but it didn't always happen this year. Uh, in fact, frequently it did not happen. So I'm pointing that out when they do. I like Kevon Glenn, man. I, I this, this kid's film is fun. He is out there thumping people. I, I never really end up seeing him in a camp, so I don't know what he runs. I, I understand the quality of competition he plays against. My only real question about him, I guess, would, would be sort of the sideline sideline ability. How is he going to be in the pass game? But this defense is sorely lacking guys who trigger and get downhill in a hurry and with bad intentions, and he does hit people. So uh, I think this was a good late signing by Florida State. In fact, he was actually not planning to sign until February – and Florida State liked him so much that they they greenlighted him. Uh, and I, I think that was a smart greenlight by them to go ahead and say, yeah, go ahead and sign. Because if they hadn't signed him, 
you know, I wonder if they're not other programs really trying to get in on him right now because there's a lot of programs looking for linebackers. He's a guy that that shot up the rankings late, and I think that was a, a quality job uh, by them to to get on him. I'm not going to tell you he's a superstar, but I'd be surprised if he ends up being a bad player. A guy that's uh, out of the IMG prospect uh, or the IMG Academy, uh, Jarrell McCray, somebody that we've talked about for an awful long time, a guy who uh, – what suffered a knee injury in his junior year, and uh, two. if he two uh, uh, ACL twice, I believe, and if not, would would probably be more highly regarded as a prospect, but seems to have bounced back uh, pretty well, and uh, certainly was an active recruiter for Florida State throughout the process. Indeed, so I like Julian, another smart guy, another guy who was big in, in the recruitment of this class, um, another dude out, out of IMG, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm curious to see how he develops. He's, he's got probably the biggest frame. Uh, out, out of all three of these these guys you took at the linebacker spot, you know I want to see how he moves when you get him in into your weight program. You know I I don't think there's really a, a, a like a 200 spot difference, or excuse me, a 600 spot difference between Jaleel McRae and Kevon Glenn. Like currently there is, I think I think they got Kevon rated in the 800s and McRae rated in, in the 200s. To me, that doesn't really match up. Um, I I think that. Uh, they're, they're a lot closer there. So, you know, I think rankings do a really good job overall, but uh, I think those two are, are a little bit closer in the rankings than uh, than they indicate. Uh, Florida State is still involved with anybody at linebacker, somebody that could potentially be added in the more traditional signing day period? Yeah, I, I think they would still like to take one. I know they're interested in uh, Shimon Cooper out of Illinois. That's, that's the one name I would give you now. I think they're pretty happy with the three they got, you know, relatively – Considering that they went five and seven this year, so you kind of kind of took yourself out of contention for some of the kids you'd, you'd really like to get. And go into Mississippi and get anybody with the last name of Dean or anything like that. Yeah, no, and that 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 ended up being a wild. I mean, Georgia ended up getting him. By the way, I, I don't know what it is about these Mississippi schools, but they always come with this late BS about how like they're they're really in it for this kid, really in it for that kid, and then the kid ends up signing and going out of state. It's Every year, and then like the last three days before signing day, I end up hearing this. Oh, old Miss is really in it for Nicobe Dean. I'm like, really? We're, we're going to do this again? Old Miss, the, the school that, that's on a bowl ban right now, you know, like th- that school. Now, if you told me LSU's making a late push, sure, I'd buy it. They had a nice year. They they, they got a pretty nasty defense. Or hey, it's really going to be you know Bama Georgia battle, which I think it was. Okay, I believe that. Or hell, even A&M, they had a great year recruiting. Possibly. I'm just not buying this old Miss stuff. All right, bud. We'll keep our eye out at linebackers, see what they potentially add. Uh, defensive back, interesting area. You got some good kids committed. Uh, added a kid out of Carroll City that uh, pretty high on. Uh, Renardo Green was a, a prospect that I think we thought was not highly regarded as, as maybe it should be throughout the process. And then Raymond Woody, uh, local prospect that you added uh, in the past couple of days, obviously a name that will be familiar uh, with the Florida State fan base as a whole. But the the question for me and the, the story here is, uh, are the prospects that are committed but yet to sign? So we'll go through the three that did sign and then uh, maybe spend a little bit of time here at the end with uh, with what the remaining four look like and, and whether or not those will ultimately be members of the class. I think they did a pretty good job at DB. This is probably the, the, the highlight of the class, assuming they actually get some of these unsigned kids signed. So uh, Raymond Woody, local prospect, uh, and, and also maybe the Raymond Woody the third 
And as such, maybe the best nickname out of this class, Three Wood. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a good, good nickname. I like it. Oh, man. I, I, I like that. I, I like hitting my Three Wood. Get, get one of the M2s. It's just that when you peer it, nice sound. Uh, okay. So, Woody, pretty athletic kid. Kind of looks young, actually. So, I think he's probably going to keep growing just looking at him body and face wise. Real smart player, as you would expect, since his dad is a coach. He grew up around the game, and it shows. I've actually seen this kid play some quarterback in 7-on-7, seven seven, and he's not good enough to play quarterback for Florida State or anything. But I do like guys who play quarterback for their team because I feel like it gives them a nice understanding of, of how the game is played. Athletically, he's not a freak athlete, uh, but he's he's definitely a smart kid. And, um, man, this, this team needs an infusion of good kids, smart kids, uh, and of guys who, who understand football and actually like to play football. Those are all important things in this class uh, that I feel like they were largely a- able to accomplish. Um, and, and Woody Woody really embodies all, all of those. So to me, that, that was a good take. I think he's going to be a safety, I, I would guess. It, if he blows up, I guess he could play linebacker. I know this year in high school he played some corner and some safety, but I, I think ultimately he's a safety unless he hits some big growth spurt. His dad's a pretty big dude, though, if, you, if you've ever seen Woody up close. Yeah, yeah, no, his dad's a decent-sized individual. Uh, Renardo Green. He's a pest, man. Like, guys do not like to play against him in 7-on-7. Seven seven. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's not tiny. Pretty good overall speed. Uh, very quick. I think that's probably his, his best attribute is the quickness that allows him to, to stop and start with the acceleration. Uh, I'd, I'd be comfortable playing him. Um, in the slot, if well, Florida State uses their slot a little bit differently, but you know, if you think kind of like a traditional nickel roll, nickel roll, I could see him doing that. Pretty comfortable playing press coverage, so he's a guy that uh, that Taggart and Woody actually saw in person when they were at the uh, the Under Armour uh, All America camp in Orlando. Uh, pro tip to future coaches: have a lot of kids who play football because then they'll get invited to go to these camps, like uh, uh, Willie Taggart Jr. and Raymond Woody the third. So. Pretty cool there. And that's uh, they, they got to see him in person, and uh, he committed fairly shortly thereafter, I believe. Um, so Gant was also at that camp, and so was Travis J. and Martin Emerson. I did like this Martin Emerson kid at, at corner uh, out of, out of um, Pensacola Pine Forest for any of our Panhandle listeners. He looked great in camp that day. I mean, his rating is, is outside the top 1,000, it looks like. He's a Mississippi State commitment right now, but I, I liked him. So uh, good for him getting some powerful offers like like Mississippi or Mississippi State, rather. But uh, yeah, I, I think Renardo Green, um, a good take. You know, doesn't blow me away as a player, uh, but also a guy who I feel like will, will be a good player for you. All right, bud. Uh, Jarvis Brownlee, Miami, Carroll City. Uh, nice prospect. Somebody that. Uh, you know, one of the one of the few positive storylines over the past couple of days where he and his teammate and, and Brownlee maybe ultimately projects to maybe have a little bit of a higher college ceiling. Yeah, I'm a big Brownlee fan, man. I actually thought that, that Florida State, you know, should have offered Brownlee uh, earlier than they did. Uh, I I liked him since since I was at the uh, uh, the South Fort Express seven on team tryouts, and I was like, all right, well, okay, the kid's a hitter. He's real aggressive. He's Good in coverage. He's on a defense that's like entirely made up of five stars because it's South Fort Express. Like they're all going to like Bama, Georgia, Ohio State. Um, you know, it's like Tyreek and Jordan Battle and um, Jaden Davis. And 
I'm like, man, okay, so you got this guy with like no stars at all, and nobody picks on him, and he hits people on Friday nights, and he covers people on Saturday in these tournaments pretty well, and they play him in a slot, and, and he he can cover he can cover two way goes. Like what? What the hell am I missing? You know, and I was I was talking to some other guys who coaching that team and a couple of them who played in the league and they're like we can't figure it out either like what what don't people like about the kid uh and uh, ultimately florida state did offer him and they get the flip uh from miami largely because manny diaz left to be the coach of temple so if brownlee turns out to be a real good player maybe if you should send a, a fruit basket uh to the temple owls program but they they got him and uh, he got up there on his official visit and uh, they, he loved it and was real impressed. He'd never actually been up there, like in, inside the building and, and seen it. So better late than never as far as the offer goes. <laughs> yeah, yes. Real good get, good player. Uh, somebody that'll, you know, do well, hopefully, in his time and in Tallahassee. Uh, we don't want to get too bogged down on this, but like we said, uh, the real story here, defensive back, is yet to be written. Uh, Brendan Grant, Travis J, Akeem Dent, Nick Cross, all kids that are committed uh, with, uh, you know, Cross there being a, a recent development with uh, Maryland higher earning a uh, DeMatha coach. I've got to say, if Cross ultimately does not intend to sign with Florida State, he has been the most active social recruiter of anybody that I've ever seen that's already uh, made a decision to go somewhere else. So that certainly seems to, uh, to be a positive development. But anytime you have a situation where a coach gets hired uh, by a local school, the hometown school, um, you know, you're not being overly pessimistic to to be a little bit worried. No, there's no doubt, man. Like this is it's concerning that four of the five top prospects for Florida State are not yet signed. Now they're committed. Most of them seem real committed, but still, those coaches can't be sleeping real well that, that they didn't get those guys signed. And I, I think if you asked them, hey, are you going to sweep the five? I think right now they would probably say yeah. And yet, you'd much rather have those dudes signed than not. Like you said, you know, Nick Cross, Maryland did hire his coach to an on-field coaching position, so that's going to be something that they're going to have to deal with down the stretch here. But I think a couple of these kids may take some visits, and certainly a couple are going to take official visits to Florida State as well. I think if you set the if you set the number at four, I would go over four and a half is a tougher number, though. I mean that that's uh, that that's that's an interesting prop to be sure. But uh, should we move more to the uh, overall kind of idea as to what the class is, how it's put together? And we wanted to have a pretty clear delineation. And look, we're, we're not going to go all fire and brimstone here. So if that's what you're looking for, you're going to be disappointed. But I don't want my uh, – I don't want any of the criticisms that I have of, of how this played out to, to bleed into these kids that signed with Florida State today. Let me put it that way. Happy for them. Great accomplishment. And uh, a lot of really nice pieces here that as we've kind of sat down and gone over this, uh, truth be told, I, I feel slightly better than maybe I did when we first started. But uh, at the same time here, there's some there's some good things to look at and there's some some stuff that's uh, that can be labeled as, as nothing other than troubling. Yeah. So, all right. They got the top class in the state. I don't think Florida is going to pass them most likely, even, even if Florida picks up steel. And, and Elam, like I would project Florida to do, right? I mean, they, they're they sitting there at number 14 with 19 commitments. That's pretty, you know, that's that's pretty good. Their average on overall kids is, is over a 90, which is not terrible. It looks like they're going to hit their numerical needs 
you know, not taking a, a high school offensive tackle so far is is concerning, and I, I feel like a poor job by this staff. But I really have have one main criticism of, of this haul, right? And it's something that was echoed to me in some texts I got from from guys who were in the ACC, and they basically said, you know, where are the studs? Like they know they know I went to Florida State. They know I'm a Florida State guy, and they're like 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 where. Where are the difference where are the, makers? Where are the difference makers? And yeah. the one guy joked, you're signing kids like we do. That's a criticism on these kids. It doesn't mean they're bad players, but there is no doubt Florida State, as far as going out and getting kids who are elite, early career difference makers, they get an F for me in that, in that regard. Now, I think that they accomplished a lot of other goals here. Flipping the culture, I feel like this, this class will help with that a lot. Kids who are, are, are fairly decent academically, yeah. I mean, you can't, they got the lowest damn APR rate in the nation right now. That's or at least among the Power Five. That's that's pretty bad. You know, got guys who actually like football and want to play hard. Now, I could care less about this. Oh, we want guys who want who want to be Knowles nonsense. No, you, you want the best players to be Knowles. That that's how that goes. There are a lot of important intangible stuff that I think you're getting with this class. I think this class does raise the floor of your program. All right, so I don't give the class an F, but if I was to grade different elements of it, getting elite talent to sign, so far they don't get a passing grade from me on that. That to me is a concern because we all know where this program wants to get to, and that's back to a national championship level. Now, this is going to be a long climb because of, of where you're at at certain positions, but I don't think they got you know, real difference makers at several positions. I, I think some of these positions, they're kind of just like, just guys. Not bad guys. And I really shouldn't probably even say just guys, but like not dudes who are, tr- are true difference makers. You know, like, is there a Nigel Bradham in the linebacker group? We'll see. I mean, m- maybe maybe Deloach bulks up a little bit and becomes a, a real freak. You know, defensive line, I think, is an area that I look at and I say, first two years under Willie Taggart, I don't see a Brian Burns. I don't see an Edwards. I don't see. A, I don't see a Marvin Wilson. They have not gone out there. And granted, you know that's a real tough position to, to get after after you go twelve and thirteen in your last two years. But I don't see a, like like a, a real high impact early career player on this defensive line. All right, I just see some dudes. Some of them who are better th- than others. You know, some guys who I would project as backups, and some guys who I would project to be uh, quality starters. But I don't. I mean, do you see a Marvin Wilson type in this group or, or Brian Burns or, or uh, anybody that level? Because I, I don't. No, no, there's, there's, you know, I, I hope everybody develops and I hope they uh, they all reach their full potential. But at this point, I, I don't see anything like that. You don't have the mega recruit. You don't, you don't have anybody that was uh, in the conversation to be one of the best at their position. Uh, you don't have that real person to... Uh, Really headline now. Dent Dent's a little bit of a different situation. He, he's a certainly a highly regarded kid, but he's a guy that's potentially involved in your class because Bama thinks they have two or three other people at his position in their class that they'll be involved with. So I'm just uh, I'm not trying to be overly picky, but there's not uh, the 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 mega recruit. There's not the real headliner. It's not that these guys can't become elite. It's that when you're recruiting, you're playing an odds game. You want to take the guys who have the best odds of becoming elite superstar players. Like we know, 
five stars are like 3,000% more likely to become all Americans than two stars. I mean, that's something we, we've tracked over time at Espionation. The exact percentage is a little bit different than that, but you, you get my, my drift on that. There's a possibility some of these guys turn out to be awesome. The possibility is lower that these guys turn out to be awesome than it would be if you had signed a bunch of guys who are already awesome and just need to take a smaller step to reach that superstardom. So to me, that's the main criticism that I have with this class. You know, I, I think second criticism we've already covered. A lot of the best players in this class have not actually signed yet, which to me is a concern, but not a panic thing. You know, like I said, I, I do think that they're going to sign. I think there's this fallacy out there that's like, hey, we got the right guys. You know, they, they, they check off a lot of these boxes. You can also get right guys who are actually studs. You don't have to compromise in that. Now, granted, if you go five and seven, you're, the, the ceiling on your class is going to be lowered a little bit. There's going to be some guys, you know, who, who just just won't consider you. I do think that this makes like so. My my projection for this program, right, is that you want to be a true ACC contender by 21. And I know that sounds really crazy and that sounds far off, but I don't think you're going to sniff Clemson as long as they have Trevor. It's kind of like when Florida State had Jameis. You know, you could talk about all this other stuff, but you're not going to touch FSU when they have Jameis, and I don't think you're going to touch Clemson as long as they have Trevor. So when is Trevor going to be gone after the 20 season? I think you want to be in a position to really challenge Clemson and maybe win that division come that season. To me, signing this class makes that road back a little bit longer, but it also puts a lot of pressure on the next class to land guys who can be difference makers by their second year in the program because Mm -hmm. the next class you sign is the 20 class. So they're going to be freshmen in 20. They're going to be sophomores in 21. The challenge for Willie Taggart is to go out and get enough studs next year who can be ready to hashtag do something come 21, assuming Willie's still here in 21. I think all this nonsense about Willie be here in 20 is just absolutely crazy. You know, if they had two back-to-back bad seasons following the 18-year, whatever. But I, I, I do think that that you need to go out and you need to get more top-end talent next year that also fits your culture. Uh, and, and so that's kind of my my main criticism of, of what they got. Not, not so much their methods, but, but just what they got. also want to thank Resolution Home Loans for being a great sponsor for us throughout this season and, and, and now a, a longtime partner. For us, Resolution Home Loans is a proud, null-owned business. Uh, Chad's a, a great guy to work with, and Shannon is going to hook you up with the best possible home loan for your needs. We have uh, double-digit Nolcast listeners who have now gone through Resolution to get their home loan, and, and also some realtors who, who listen to the show uh, who recommend Resolution to their clients. So if you fit it in, in either of those buckets, uh, please go ahead and give them a call. It's 844-FSU-LOAN. 844-FSU-LOAN. It'll connect you directly with Shannon. Uh, or visit FSUHomeLoans.com. It's FSUHomeLoans.com. They want to close you fast with their almost home program. They want to give you the confidence to put down an offer on a home that you know you can back and that can be accepted quickly. So let's get to it. Let's buy some houses out there. And uh, thanks again to Resolution. Great null, great Nolcast sponsor. You mentioned this, and I'm not saying that you're sugarcoating it, but I... I... I don't think uh, we're being critical enough of what they did at offensive tackle. Look, if, if you and I are getting reports in August that you can't run practice because of what your second second string offensive line looks like, then nothing snuck up on you. The uh, The idea that at this point in time you're standing 
with an offensive line or, or with an offensive tackle prospect who was playing wide receiver three years ago, who's got two years to play two, and who is going to need like the basic fundamental work of the position is simply not good enough. And the Neil kid is intriguing, and it was great that you chased him, and it was nice that you were involved in that commitment, but position like that, you're, you you got to know whether or not you're going to get that kid, and you got to know whether or not you have the resources that are necessary to get that kid, and if you don't, you got to cut bait. Uh, and you got to go. You got to go move to to your B option or your C option or whatever it is. But uh, where they stand with the offensive line, offensive tackle in, in particular, is uh, is not satisfactory at all, in my opinion. So I, I totally agree with that. I also think I think what they're thinking on that is this, right? If I'm Florida State and I don't get Evan Neal, I'd like to go ahead and take you know one high school kid in in the you know by traditional sign of day. And I'm not saying I agree with this, but it's just what I think they're thinking. I want to take two more kids who are junior college or grad transfers, which I believe they will do at least. The other day, somebody told me they, they might take three more bodies like that, but I, I'll believe that when I see it. I think you'll get two more there. They are in strong position with several top-end tackles for next year in a way that they are really not normally in. I'm talking guys who are going to be at least like top 400 players nationally and probably more in that top 200 range. Some guys who are in that top 50 nationally range at offensive tackle at high school. So you don't want to take so many high school bodies this time that you load up and you're not able to sell early playing time to these kids. Because I want to be able to walk into Jalen Rivers' house next year on Florida State, the five-star kid out of Orlando, and say, hey, you may not start day one, but come twenty come your sophomore year, that thing is wide open, and you had better be ready to start because we're going to need you to start. That's my pitch to him. You know the the the, the Braun kid, the, the the kid at uh, at Madison County. There's several kids who they're going to have a shot at. I'm not saying they're they're going to land them all, and there will be other kids to emerge as well. Um, playing time is going to be a big time part of their sell, as it was this year which didn't work enough, uh, mm. but there are more in-state kids this year who they like and who actually like them back that I know of coming up. So I think there's a chance that this works out, but I'm not going to tell you that it's definitely going to work out because I don't know that. And I do agree with you. They should have done a better job uh, to to get in position with a, a, a better tackle uh, than the one they have now, which is nobody. No, they'll they'll land somebody down the stretch. I'm I'm confident in that. But you bring up a point about strategy that I think maybe we can finish this out with tonight, right? I, I feel like like you said something a minute ago. You said they they stayed on their elite targets too long, and and they ended up having to settle for some like not not Plan Bs, but like Plan C players. And I, I think that's right. I I think that you know, this staff had so much momentum going into the year before the offensive line collapsed, and that really is the major catalyst for most of the issues going on right now. It's just how, how terrible you were there. I mean, there's other issues too, but you know, they, they were in good position with a lot of these kids or at least decent position. Um, you know, they, they did a great job to get everybody to Saturday night lights and had them feeling good. They were coming back on, on big time visits and you know, the, the season went, went to hell. And yet I think that they, they stayed with some of these top targets too long. And there's no prize for second place in recruiting. And so, for instance, 
like a Nick Penley, the kid you ended up offering, I think, last month. I think you should offer that kid in October. I think after the Syracuse game, you need to say, all right, mm-hmm. hey. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. This season is going to hell. Any reasonable projection here has us going four and eight, which at the time it did, and they ended up beating that. But, you know, this is not something that's going to work. We're not going to be in a position to to land these elite five-star kids. We need to go to some plan Bs as opposed to what, what happened, I think, too often at some of these spots, which was that they ended up having to settle for some plan C-type kids. So, I mean, I think you can probably figure out who some of those are by our comments tonight. I'm not, I'm not trying to call them out specifically. They're they're all nice kids, and you know, I, I, they're all at least decent players. I don't think anybody that you signed is just absolutely terrible. But they, they needed to do a better job of picking and choosing who they had a real shot at. For instance, I know that Thibodeau was still hitting that coaching staff up. It wasn't like they were bugging him. He would still talk to them like unprompted, and so I can't. I can't fault him for continuing to chase that guy. You know, I mean, imagine if that story got out. Hey, Thibodeau really wanted to go to Florida State, but they stopped talking to him. Mm-hmm. And that's that's Jimbo 2.0. But you also need to listen to what you're hearing from other people in the industry, other, other staffs that you talk to. You know, I don't know anybody that thought they were going to get Evan Neal. And they still talk to Evan Neal, you know, as much as they could. To your point with offensive tackle there, yeah, I would have moved on. I would have said, okay, yeah, did we take Chaz Neal last year? Yeah, is Chaz Neal a guy that we think could play? Eh, we'll see. A long-term project at best. He's a guy the last staff took and that this staff signed off on. I don't think they were really in a position to tell him to go elsewhere. And he might still be a, a, a decent player. We'll, we'll see. Uh, but I would have I would have moved on to some other tackle prospects. You know, Neal said that he didn't care about playing time and that he wanted to go to where it was going to make him the best. Florida State is not going to make him the best right now. That I mean, Bama's a much better program. The chip they had to play was the playing time chip. Now, I wasn't sure if I totally believed Evan in that, but he followed through on his word, didn't really care about playing time. There likely were kids, however, that did care about playing time. And they were on a, you know, like you didn't get on them soon enough. And I think it could cost you down the road. They really have to do a, a great job next year. Uh, the stakes are, are raised in offensive tackle recruiting at the high school level because you can't JUCO this every year. Also, and and maybe I should just keep my mouth shut here, I also think this staff uh, up to three or four weeks ago thought Josh Ball was coming back, which is a mistake. And uh, I think some of their personnel decisions were based off of that as well. And I think you're right, yeah. I think they were fortunate that story came out when it did. Uh, by the way, Josh Ball uh, ended up at Marshall. Iowa State was going to take him, from what I understand, until he – wanted to go to Florida State. That, that's that's the rumor I heard this weekend. So ends up going to Marshall. That's a pretty big step down from Florida State. But uh but yeah, I think I think that's that's what happened there largely and and I do fault them for not projecting how their season would go and projecting how the, the negative impact that could have on their recruiting efforts. You know, like these guys didn't forget how to recruit. They had like the best class ever lined up ready to go to Oregon, they still finished top 15 after a 5-7 and seven season in which they look like a disaster more often than not. They do have the ability to recruit. I do think that they did a poor job in moving on from some targets, and that cost them uh, a level of talent here at some spots with some kids. I, I, do, I do think this class 
could have been better. I mean, somebody asked, somebody asked us on Twitter on, on our mentions tonight, do you really think this could have been better? I do. Yeah, I, I, I do. I, I think you could get a, you know, maybe a top 400 player at offensive tackle could be committed and signed right now if you had given up on Evan Neal. You know, maybe you get a, a better pass rusher at, at end. I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I'm not going to say that it could have been worlds better, but maybe it could be the number 12 class instead of the number 14 class or, or, or the number 10 class. And this is not a disaster. This class will not sink the program. Like, you won't, you won't look back and say, oh, my God, this class was so bad, it just killed the program. It, it's not. It, it's, a, it's a class that will offer some measure of stability, but it's not a class that's going to win you an ACC title, I don't think. Like, like, like you won't look back and like, oh man, so many of these guys ended up being high level starters. I, I don't think there's a chance, but it just, it's not super likely. And we, all this is based on likelihoods and probabilities. Why do we like five stars? Because they're more likely to succeed than four stars. Why do we like four stars over three stars? Again, they're just more likely to succeed. There are no guarantees in this. You just got to play the odds. I don't think that we'll look back and see this class as something that sunk the program. But depending on how they do uh, with Juco offensive linemen, we will look back at this class and judge this staff for a failure to address the most critical of needs uh, if if offensive linemen is not ultimately taken care of. You know, last year is the last time that any amount of nuance will be applied to the offensive success, success and what they inherited. And... Nobody else is going to start talking about what was inherited or what was left over or whose players in year two. You have to address that, and at this point in time, I'm not sure the staff's done that. Uh, a lot of nice pieces that we talked about, a lot of really good kids, but a glaring hole at uh, offensive tackle that uh, ultimately we'll have to reassess and, and judge how they did uh, come the first Wednesday of February. Bonus, bonus segment, Miami. All right, so I want to I want to laugh at Miami, and I want to do. I'm not. Oh, people are going to think I'm hating, just ruining everything tonight. Oh my God, what a cluster and what a ridiculous end! And I understand people's want to compare Florida State to Miami, but Florida Miami's shit show doesn't make Florida State's class any better. Florida, let Miami be the 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 program of the VCR. Let Miami be. The program that has the the logo, you know, between the 30s in their indoor practice facility. Let Miami be the 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 program that has 25 kids committed in May and ends up signing nine of them in December or February. But I don't think Miami should be your benchmark moving forward. It's it's yesterday's college football program and uh, not going to be ultimately what uh, what this program has to has to compare itself to. I, I totally agree with that. And um, let's get right back to making fun of Miami and laughing at them. So that's uh, not not something I wanted to divert us away from. I think their decommitments did finish higher ultimately than, than their commitments did. I'm almost positive they did. Yeah. Yeah, it was a hell of a class that, that ultimately chose, uh, with that being said, to go elsewhere. Yeah. Um, They've been mediocre for an extended period of time, but holy... Holy crap, what an absolute mess that place has, has spun into over the last six weeks or so. Your kids have to recruit for you, right? Like, they have to be your best recruiters. A lot of coaches talk talk about that. I was told by somebody I really trust that when players are going on official visits to Miami, Miami's players were not recruiting for Miami. I'll just leave it at that. 
that's a big that's a really big deal you know if, if you got if you got kids who say don't go here or who say you know or, or maybe just aren't, aren't all about recruiting for you that's an issue with that five stars on itunes if you could and let's make sure that uh y'all share the podcast as much as you can we might be back with one before christmas we'll, we'll have to discuss that depending on what happens and very much appreciate y'all being with us uh, throughout 2018.